Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Trista Chen. Trista is the Chief Scientist of Machine Learning at Inventech. Trista, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, before we jump into uh, the heart of our talk, which will be focused on a presentation you did recently at uh, the NVIDIA GTC conference on edge AI and smart manufacturing, I'd love to learn a bit about your background. How did you get started working in machine learning? Um, I'm always a visual person to start with as a child. So naturally, uh, I study computer vision. And uh, after I finished my PhD at Carnegie Mellon University, I joined NVIDIA uh, to be the first video architect of their video processor. So video processor is their uh, new line of processor in addition to the graphic processor. Uh, so that they can handle all the video encoding, decoding, and pre-processing, post-processing uh, more smoothly. Um, after NVIDIA, I joined Intel to be their research scientist. I lead a team of researchers in Russia to do OpenCV development, as well as uh, working on many-core and multi-core processor um, research. So OpenCV, uh, to, to some of you who know uh, the uh, open source library, is probably the biggest uh, open source library on computer vision. Um, you have 14 million downloads uh, so far, and uh, I'm very happy to be part of the effort to contribute to the um, community to help everybody uh, to have a, a quick head start in all the computer vision applications. Um, and after Intel, I think most people at uh, Silicon Valley had this uh, dream of starting their own comp company. Um, so uh, I uh, started my own company uh, doing computer vision uh, for other companies. So basically a B2B effort. So I help company to annotate their image or video assets so that they can match uh, related advertisement uh, to their image or video. So example to that would be um, if you watch a uh, YouTube video, right? So a lot of them are uh, consumer generated and uh, you want to monetize them. So, uh, so our company will help them uh, to look at what's inside the video and then what would be the appropriate uh, related uh, content. For example, if you have posted a video about riding a bicycle uh, in the wild, then maybe we will match a REI advertisement for you. And same thing with image. Uh, so uh, if you write a blog about uh, your um, dinner with friends and then you write a blog about going to somewhere for fun, then we can match that with uh, travel advertisement and whatnot. And um, so we got uh, accepted by uh, Y Combinator in their last round. But eventually I didn't uh, join the uh, Y Combinator effort. And then um, so uh, because I was a first time entrepreneur, um, it wasn't successful. And after that, I, I get a taste of a startup and I decided to join another startup, uh, which was called Cognitive Networks. So what they do is uh, they do content recognition on TV. So they had this uh, small uh, device inside the TV that they partner with. 
so that they can understand uh, exactly what uh, TV content uh, you're watching. For example, you're watching uh, Big Bang Theory uh, episode A and to the uh, minute of two and 30 seconds and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, by knowing what you're watching uh, at the at the moment, uh, they can uh, do a lot of uh, analytics on the video. They can know uh, the advertisement or the campaign effectiveness and, uh, and whatnot. So uh, eventually the company was successful and got acquired by Vizio, uh, one of the top uh, TV manufacturers uh, in the world. And uh, so after the happy acquisition, I kind of semi-retire <laughs> per se. Um, uh, yeah, after like 15 years of Silicon Valley, uh, like hard working and craziness. So I uh, actually uh, moved across uh, Pacific Ocean to Taiwan. Um, so uh, actually, my um, career has been interesting in that it span uh, different countries, it span uh, different areas, also from research to industry research from big companies and uh, eventually startup. And now I'm moving back to another big company, which is uh, Inventech uh, in Taiwan. So for uh, a lot of you in uh, in the U.S., you might not be aware of the the, the company Inventech. It's actually a OEM. Uh, or some of you might have heard of uh, Foxcom, right? So Foxcom make uh, uh, manufacture all the Apple devices for Apple. So Inventec is a similar uh, line of uh, company. So they manufacture uh, cloud servers, laptops, and smart uh, devices uh, for uh, all the famous computers you ever heard of, uh, even though uh, you never heard of uh, Inventec itself because it's an OEM. Um, as a chief scientist in the company, uh, I was, uh, I'm actually, I'm ha- helping the company to, uh, to, uh, optimize their industrial 4.0 effort, uh, in the factory, as well as, uh, looking at, uh, future direction in products so that, uh, we can, um, prepare ourselves to be ready to, uh, manufacture, uh, new, line of AI products for our customers. And so the presentation that you did at GTC around the application of AI at the edge, uh, was that for Inventec's own manufacturing facilities or for customers or partners? Yeah, the the answer is yes and no. So uh, to start uh, the research, we actually focus mostly internally. So we go to the factory and talk to the people in the production line to understand what their needs and uh, what their pain point is. And from there, we develop uh, the solutions. So what you see in the, our GTC presentation are the real uh, application that we uh, develop for the, the, the factories. And from there, um, it becomes a solution. So it's possible that we provide the solution or we uh, customize a solution for other customers other than Inventec. Uh, but that's a, a, another uh, process. So now we are not talking about that in the presentation. So the presentation that you saw is uh, for Inventec only. Okay, great. And so we're not going to assume that anyone listening has seen the presentation. Uh, so why don't you walk us through the main points of the, the case study? What were the main challenges that you are trying to solve? Let's start there. Okay. So um, so manufacturing is actually a very 
interesting area. So most people, they had, they hold their smartphones, they had their computers, but they had no knowledge about uh, those factories. So they imagine something like, oh, there's this uh, big, huge factory in China somewhere, and there's some like huge robots or many robots working there, uh, along with maybe a lot of uh, cheap laborers and all that. Honestly, uh, it's more advanced than that. So Industry 4.0 is actually an effort to digitize a lot of the physical part of the factory uh, so that uh, we can seamlessly uh, integrate what we uh, sense from uh, the physical, for example, the defects or uh, what we see from the, the production line together with uh, a lot of uh, the knowledge that we learned from previously for that uh, to optimize the process. Okay, so let me give you an example. So um, traditionally in uh, like industrial 3.0, so we will need uh, a lot of humans to look at, for example, the PCB board or the motherboard of a computer one by one, right? To make sure that uh, the components in the PCB board are not misplaced, they are not having any defects, they are not missing and whatnot. Um, but then you can imagine that it's pretty cost ineffective, right? And then a human can get tired and, one, and uh, they can get inconsistent in their result. So by using uh, computer vision to do this, uh, we can ensure that the accuracy of detection is much higher. And more importantly, you'll be more consistent, right? So a lot of people or a lot of labor before lunchtime, they get so tired, they want to go to lunch and they will simply just uh, press OK or uh, <laughs> to the product, right? And then they just go to and then they finish their job and they can go, right? But then uh, for computer, they don't, they won't have such a problem. They'll just keep working tirelessly. So, uh, so this is... Uh, uh, the very obvious example of application of AI in, in uh, manufacturing. But honestly, industry uh, application of AI is actually a very broad area. So um, according to McKinsey, uh, a report in, of McKinsey in 2013, there are actually more manufacturing data than any other sector combined okay, in a year. So that would be two exabytes, so two and then 10 to the power of 18 bytes of data per year, uh, according to the report. And that amount of data can be, uh, can be used to, to do a lot of interesting things in addition to defect detection. So it could be used to do uh, like uh, predictive maintenance. It can be uh, used to do operational optimization, supply chain optimization, and, and all that. So what we talk about in GTC is just a very small portion uh, of how you uh, AI can help uh, manufacturing or factory. Now, one of the things that I've heard in talking to folks about this space, and I'm curious if you've seen similar, is that you know one of the big challenges here is that you know while there is a ton of data, you know often it's locked in proprietary systems. Like a robotics provider might provide the robot, but not open up the data to the customer to integrate it in with other uh, things. Or uh, they may have data in some SCADA system, but you know there aren't easy interfaces to accessing or using that data. Do you find that in in your world as well? Yeah, that's an excellent question, actually. So there are two aspects to that. So one is uh, the device 
would the device actually output the data you need in order to do your AI thing? Uh, so first, for example, in the case of uh, defect detection, right? So uh, AOI machine stands for automatic optical inspection. So what they do is they use a camera plus some algorithm to detect defect. Uh, but a lot of times those AOI vendor, they won't output the raw image to the factory people. So what they gonna uh, output is just a result or pass or fail of this PCB board. And there's a good reason that they don't want to release that precious, uh, 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 precious data to the customer. Uh, so oftentimes you have to pay extra fee or maintenance fee or service fee uh, in order to, uh, to get those data to do further optimization uh, as a factory customer to those device manufacturer. So that's one aspect to that. And the other aspect is uh, even the factory uh, have access to all this confidential or secret data, uh, it's usually hard or impossible for the outsider to touch those sensitive manufacturing data uh, to do further things. So I will use an example, right? For example, like Lending AI. So a company that is um, studied by Andrew Yang, one of the AI pioneers, right? So Lending AI, um, they claim to uh, work on uh, this field of industrial AI. But honestly, uh, any outsider is close to impossible to touch Data is like uh, what is the ERA of the process, and then, uh, for example, what is the inventory level, and what is the order level, or the order number, the sales order number of this uh, factory or for this site. So those are so sensitive that it's impossible to release to outsiders. So uh, to answer your question, I think a lot of the thing is happening inside the factory, inside the wall of the factory. So the world could be physical, it could be digital, but whichever, uh, everything is contained. So uh, it's not as, uh, I would say it's not a sexy field to work with by design so that uh, they can uh, you, they can keep all the secret uh, data that can affect their uh, like stock price and then that can affect a lot of uh, like things, uh, transactions. Uh, they keep everything inside, and they work on those data inside the wall. And so you mentioned these AOI systems. When folks are deploying AI to to do visual inspection, that's one of the big uh, use case areas for AI in the industrial context is defect uh, reduction and visual inspection. Is the goal to replace the existing AOI systems, which tend to be based on uh, more traditional computer vision algorithms as opposed to machine learning? Or is it to, as you're suggesting, you know, take their data and optimize, but still use those systems? Like, And there are, are lots of different types of computer vision-based systems on the uh, in a manufacturing environment. There are these defect detection systems. There are the sorting types of systems, but they're all kind of characterized as being these closed systems where you'd, you'd want to have the, the data to optimize. Uh, are folks trying to replace these with more open types of systems or just get access to the data and feed it back to what those systems are doing? Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it depends on the stage of your uh, development uh, in using AI in factory. So uh, AI is actually a pretty mature field. 
So you can go out and talk to at least a hundred different AOI vendors uh, in the market and buy machines that do AOI for you. So like you said, so currently um, most of the AOI machine in the market, they're using the so-called traditional computer vision methods to find out the defects. Uh, for example, uh, it can detect the lines, it can detect a pattern, and then it can, uh, the AOI machine will realize that oh, this pattern is like 10 degree different from the uh, the, 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 the position or the, the angle that it should be, right? It, or the part is missing because the pattern doesn't match. So those are a pretty typical uh, computer vision thing that, uh, that for example, OpenCV can do. Uh, but for some of the defects, uh, like uh, solder, uh, that is kind of uh, fuzzy or ambiguous. A human can do pretty good on that. They can look at the image and say, hey, this is uh, too much solder and this is like too little solder. But for computer or for traditional computer vision, uh, what they see is just a bunch of stuff, right? They don't know the angle, they don't, it's probably hard for them to calculate the area. And that would be the thing that is most suitable for uh, the deep learning based AI algorithm to attack or to solve. Mm -hmm. And um, so, like you said, right? So, AI machine, if it's capable, if it, if you can get the image out of the machine, then you can have a second stage reinspection engine to the image, so that uh, you can uh, fix uh, the defect detection after uh, you have fixed already the first level of uh, defect detection. The first level will be uh, the easier cases that you can detect with traditional computer vision, and in the second stage, you can use AI-based method. Uh, to uh, to solve the harder to detect kind of uh, fuzzy ambiguous case, and uh, eventually, uh, if uh, uh, if the system is smart enough, and maybe eventually uh, some of the AI machine is smart enough, it can combine both of the traditional and the new deep learning based method together, so you can either switch in between or uh, fuse them together. Um, so that you will have one like super powerful AI machine that does everything and that can uh, look at different kind of defects that have different characteristics. So, so the way I see that is like, uh, is there's no one answer to that. It depends on uh, the stage of your development. And sometimes it's two stages, sometimes it's like one big stage and, and, and that. So we've talked about AOI and defect detection quite a bit. Were there other use cases that you mentioned in your presentation? Yes. So those. So this presentation is mostly focused on uh, defect detection. Even though uh, I, I talked earlier, like uh, there's other uh, application of AI in, in factory. For example, like uh, order prediction, like predictive maintenance, like safety uh, improvement using computer vision or uh, uh, environmental aspect of uh, the AI. So there are actually a lot of more different applications, but it's not mentioned in my presentation. Just based on the, the title of your presentation, you also were incorporating the idea of edge into right. it. Where does that fit in? So um, so there are two kind of uh, uh, scenarios. One is edge. The other one is cloud. So cloud in general uh, is the mainstream of uh, most of the AI application right now. So uh, in terms of image, you capture image or video, you send that to the cloud, and the cloud has usually super powerful machine with uh, graphic processing there, and they do all the inference, and they, they speed out some results, 
for example, pass or fail, or they tell you uh, the object uh, type that's contained in this image, and that's then send it back to the user, which is at the edge. So that's one uh, scenario. The other scenario is edge, meaning you don't send your image or your data to the cloud. You compute everything on site. And when I say on site, there are uh, a few benefits to that. So one obvious benefit is privacy. So there's no intermediate point that you can hijack uh, the data. Uh, you can keep everything uh, within uh, the locality of this uh, edge device. So privacy is number one. And number two is reliability. So reliability, uh, what I mean by that is uh, sometimes the network or the communication become unreliable. It can uh, drop off or the bandwidth can be reduced and there could be error in your transmission. And as I said earlier, there could be interference or somebody can hijack your, your data or your package. And that caused a huge issue in, in, in the result, right? So uh, by having edge AI, then you avoid that uh, problem. And the, the last point of edge AI, the benefit would be network efficiency. So uh, in terms of defect detection, so image data is, 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 uh, is input for your AI engine. And image data are usually quite big, especially if you have like hundreds, thousands, if not millions of uh, images sent in to the cloud every hour, right? Um, that would pretty much jam all your uh, infrastructure, the network infrastructure. So by computing on the edge, then you avoid that problem altogether. So you don't have that problem. And so most of the conversation around edge today is focused on edge inference. And mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of uh, new hardware. Actually, almost every week there's you know folks proposing new hardware approaches for uh, edge-based inference, low-power inference, uh, et cetera. Uh, but there's also work happening around more advanced scenarios uh, that we're just starting to see, like federated learning and ways to uh, combine the edge with the cloud and to have learning that incorporates uh, the edge. Uh, are you doing any work in that area or, or seeing anything interesting in some of these more advanced scenarios? Uh, yes. So uh, what you just mentioned, I believe, is something called hybrid AI. Um, so um, basically, uh, AI computation or inference can happen, like I said, in uh, both cloud and edge. Um, and edge device uh, traditionally are pretty, uh, they don't have that much power. So they can at most, in the case of uh, image, they can at most capture image. And at most, uh, it, track, it tracks some features like edge, like uh, region of interest, and send, uh, send the data back to the cloud to do uh, most of the uh, computation, like detection and classification and all that. Um, but uh, nowadays, more and more uh, AI devices at the edge, like you said, uh, is like uh, popping up from the market uh, pretty much every day. I think in addition to the to those uh, AI chips per se, uh, a lot of existing devices like cameras, they start to have more and more uh, like teraflops inside their, their module already. So I think it's a uh, uh, right now, it's kind of like a messy situation that everybody is trying to to uh, to capture some piece of this uh, AI chip or edge AI market. So uh, um, what I observe right now may not be conclusive, but I think this trend is gonna continue, and then uh, uh, everybody is gonna expand their, their 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 territory. So Amazon is gonna claim that uh, cloud service 
it's more powerful, more accurate, and and then it's easier to deploy and all that. And then I think the edge AI people or the chip people, they're gonna say, hey, it's more private, it's more reliable, and whatnot. I think this war is gonna continue, and then uh, eventually nobody's gonna win or lose. I think it's gonna be win-win, and then uh, it's is depending on your usage scenario, and then you will choose the best solution. I'm sure. Going back to the this idea of hybrid AI, have you seen any use cases for doing some learning at the edge and some learning in the cloud? Uh, so, in particular, to to learning. So, most of the edge developers now they only do inference. Uh, so, they don't have the capability of uh, adapting or uh, training on the go. So what usually happen is uh, you had you download a model, so they call it model, a deep learning model from the cloud. So those are trained uh, in the cloud. And uh, in the edge, they simply do the inference or, or testing. So in the, in the case of uh, human detection, uh, and they, uh, at the edge, they, they deploy, uh, like say, say smart camera, smart camera with the AI chip inside, for example. The smart camera will do the detection and 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 happy, right? But uh, if somehow uh, somehow the population that this camera see uh, start to change or or migrate over time, so you might need to update your model about how people around this area area look like, right? So in this case, you will have to update your model. And uh, currently, all the training is still uh, in the cloud, and the updating of the model is still happening in the cloud. And uh, you you still have to uh, periodically or uh, depends on the event that you download the, the new model, updating model to the edge device. So there's no uh, on-device training currently, as far as I can see. So the hybrid uh, AI that I see is mostly uh, training the cloud, uh, inference in the in the edge. Yeah, that's a little bit different from the this uh, thing that is you know still a bit undefined and maybe even still a bit mythical of federated AI where you're trying to do distributed training across multiple devices. But I just, I keep asking everyone who might know a little bit about, uh, might have seen it to to get a sense for if uh, anyone's doing it out in the wild yet. Yeah. So in terms of distributed AI in training, I do see uh, quite a few applications in there. So in Coming back to the example of uh, human recognition. So, uh, for example, you can place your uh, camera in different locations, different cities, and different cities will have different people looking differently, right? In New York, you have people look like they're dressed in suits and like uh, very serious. They look serious, right? So, uh, and then you have some camera that's uh, in urban er- uh, suburban area that people dress like t-shirt and, and sandals and whatnot. So, um, collection of data, uh, they happen distributively, that's that's obvious, right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of training, I think uh, distributed training, they might have a local training server that is uh, in the proximity of those uh, sensors and do their local training uh, on how the human look like in that area. And eventually they will combine the model uh, in the cloud so that uh, you would have this uh, like very smart algorithm that can understand how human look like in different areas. So uh, that's what I see in distributed AI training, but I don't see distributed AI inference because there's no such need to do inference in uh, multiple locations as fast as I see, because inference usually is not as heavy as training. So you don't need distributed inference. 
And so this di- distributed training that you're referring to, when the model is combined, is that a you know, fairly simple combination, like some kind of ensembling or where you're, you're running multiple models and picking the one that's most confident? Or is it something more elaborate where you're kind of merging the models in some kind of way? Yeah, that's uh, there are different level of uh, of uh, integration or different level of merging of the model. So the simplest way is like uh, winner winner take all, right? So uh, whoever which model uh, performs the best in uh, in that case then then wins, right? So the other case is simple weighting. So you weigh uh, the score from uh, different uh, model in different locations and combine the result. So that's that's a second approach. Still pretty simple. And eventually you can go through this like uh, super complicated case that you have another neural network, right? <laughs> that neural network is trying to combine all this like child mm-hmm. uh, model and combine it together. And in that you will need training data uh, from uh, more training data so that you can train the parameter or hyperparameters of this like like uh, super uh, neural network on top of all these uh, child models. So there are different complexity in terms of uh, how you combine it together. Going back to your presentation, one of the things that you mentioned is the need to redefine the problems in order to get uh, the kind of results uh, in terms of uh, ROI and and solution capability that you're ultimately looking for. Can you elaborate mm-hmm. a bit on that and and how that comes up? Yeah. So. Uh, when we start talking to the to the factory people, right? Um, they are they are hardworking people. They 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 focus on one specific area every single day. So one of them uh, talked to us uh, about the problem that they are facing. They're like, "Oh, our inventory is so big that we have to keep building uh, uh, like a warehouse to store all the parts that we need." And then the warehouse is getting bigger and bigger. It's getting harder and harder to manage. And then so they're like, oh, can AI help us to manage the inventory and also to help us to build a bigger warehouse? And we're like, hmm, that's an interesting question to have. Let's figure <laughs> out like, like how we do that. But we are not architects. We don't build warehouses. So how can we help them? Um, so, in, so after digging deeper and talk to them more, uh, they actually had different problems that caused this warehouse Problem, right. So what they have is uh, they actually don't have accurate uh, uh, forecast or accurate prediction of their order. So that in order to meet or in order to fulfill the requirement of the customer, they have to prepare a lot of parts in advance. So that if the customer wants something, they can quickly uh, pull out the parts and, and assemble uh, the computer for the customer. So eventually, this is not a, a warehouse problem or how to manage a warehouse problem. This is actually a, a older uh, prediction problem. So uh, this is what I mean by one of the uh, the, the key example of redefining the problem and, uh, and 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 using AI. And okay, and another thing that you mentioned is this ROI thing. So ROI uh, stands for uh, return on investment. So this is a uh, typical uh, practice uh, of everybody working in uh, uh, manufacturing or industry. So in order to buy something or in order to uh, adopt a solution, you have to actually calculate 
so this much cost will take you two years, three years, 18 months, uh, whatever long time that uh, to recapture the, the cost that you invest, right? And uh, so for a lot of the thing, ROI is really hard to calculate uh, because uh, this is not a typical uh, stationary or static optimization problem that you have all the parameters laying out in front of you. Uh, and then you can do your, your optimization and do your trick. And then you come out with some like savings or you come out with some improvement. This is actually a, a, pro a dynamic process, right? So when you are uh, optimizing the system, you're actually changing uh, the nature uh, of the factory. And it's similar to stock market, right? So you don't, it's, it's like Warren Buffet, uh, like praying in the stock market when he decides to buy something. Uh, actually, he 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 changed the S and P like uh, index already because the volume is so big. So similar to that. So when you actually uh, change something or or uh, invest uh, put something into the factory, it actually change the nature of the the problem. So it's a it's a undergo target. So ROI is uh, is consequently uh, very difficult to to calculate. Can you give a specific example of uh, a change uh, that AI causes in the factory that makes it difficult to estimate ROI. And one point of clarification before you do that is the challenge uh, specifically with forecasting ROI or measuring it after the fact or both? I think it's both. So forecasting is actually harder. So let's say I decide to buy robots. Okay. I decide to buy robot to move all the, the parts. In different uh, in different size of my factory, and then you can say, hey, uh, the robot cost me like a million dollars, and and blah blah blah, and then so the ROI is like eighteen months, right? But then uh, this is actually eventually is gonna be wrong. Reason for that is by adopting robot, uh, you actually uh, improve uh, the accuracy of or uh, the time that arrive at different. Um, uh, manufacturing line, so the, the, the time they arrive at the line is more precise, so you can uh, produce your product uh, in a more timely manner, manner. So your yield rate will be higher and all that. So when your yield rate is higher, actually uh, the overall profit or uh, revenue of the of the companies is uh, increased. And how do you factor that into your, your calculation of ROI, right? And that's why in, in prediction or in measuring both, uh, the ROI calculation is, is often wrong. Okay. It sounds like if I could maybe try to restate that, it sounds like when you automate in the manufacturing uh, facility, you know, there's a specific thing that you're trying to improve. Maybe it's reducing defect and then you automate, but the introduction of automation has a bunch of downstream effects like increasing consistency and reducing uh, wait times and things like that. And it's hard to produce an all-encompassing ROI study that takes into all the, takes into account all these different factors. Trista, were there any other thoughts that you included in your presentation as key takeaways or any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave with the audience that, um, you know, might help them in their path towards Industry 4.0? Yes, so in Industry 4.0 is, uh, is a seamless integration of physical and digital world. Um, so the obvious uh, benefit will be accuracy, consistency, and ROI. And then uh, what I want to stress is actually uh, go higher than that. 
So uh, if you can uh, actually get all those digital and uh, physical data, IoT data with you, you can do much, much more optimization. You can actually change the whole scope of how you design the manufacturing line. You can, you can change how you uh, take the order. You can change how you ship. You can change the location where you, you stack your inventory. You can change the whole thing. I think without uh, the, the digital and uh, uh, physical uh, integration, what people call a digital twin, without that, uh, there's no way you can uh, do a, such a, a ground up change of how the, the whole manufacturing process. So uh, in addition to focus on uh, the obvious uh, benefit, I think uh, uh, everybody working in manufacturing uh, should look uh, one uh, step up and uh, looking at uh, what you can do uh, to uh, to change the whole process. And then there's the gain is not just 10%, 20%. It could be like uh, exponential, like two times and it can be 10 times because the whole thing is changed. Awesome. Well, Trista, thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.